During World War II, the Allied forces found a message etched on the wall of an abandoned house in Germany. A Jewish victim of the Holocaust had scratched a star of David on the wall, and then beneath it, in rough lettering, were these words. I believe in the sun, even when it does not shine. I believe in love, even when it is not shown. And I believe in God, even when he is silent. You know, our faith is severely tested when God is quiet, when God seems silent. The Bible says in the New Testament book of James, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, that's hard to, hard to, to, to do that for sure. But verse 3 continues, Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And our faith in God is tested in a number of ways. Adversity. It can be tested by prosperity, believe it or not. Temptations of the flesh. Temptations of pride. But one of the more difficult tests to pass is when God seems unresponsive to our needs, to the cries of our heart. I mean, do you continue to trust in God when His promises are not quickly fulfilled? Do you hang in there and continue to obey God even when it doesn't seem that it's paying off much? And do we continue believing in God when He's silent for a long time? Waiting patiently is a hard thing for us Americans, I think. It kind of goes contrary to our nature. And it certainly goes contrary to our lifestyle. I mean, we've grown up accustomed to instant action, immediate Solutions. This is the age of the super fast computers and, and what they call smartphones. Do you have your smartphone with you? You know it's pretty bad that we have to carry around something that's smarter than we are. But that's the truth. I mean, we have all these instant cellular communications. We're used to 10-minute oil changes and next day Amazon delivery. And somebody even saw a sign in a window in Pennsylvania that said, Antiques made while you wait. <laughs> Jerry, I know you relate to that. <laughs> and it seems we've got this itch for the instantaneous. It's easy for us Christians to forget Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Our Heavenly Father is infinitely patient. He's never in a hurry. Never late, but he waits for just the right moment to work out his will. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And over and over again in the scripture, it repeatedly instructs us to wait upon the Lord. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him, says the psalmist. Patience is better than pride, said Solomon. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, said Isaiah. Be joyful in hope and patient in affliction and faithful in prayer, said the Apostle Paul. And James said, you be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. And like it or not, like it or not, 
if you and I are going to walk with Jesus, sometimes we got to slow down. And it's hard for us to do, sometimes extremely difficult, but very dangerous for us not to. Eugene Peterson wrote a great book entitled A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And I quote him a lot. You've heard his name, I'm sure. But listen carefully to his words. He says, it is not difficult in our world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. But it is terrifically difficult to sustain that interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ. But there's a dreadful attrition rate. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God can be sold if it's packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty... It goes out into the garbage pile. There's a great market for religious experience in our world, but there's little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Very little willingness to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians used to call holiness. Over and over in the Bible, we hear words like steadfast, be patient, endurance, perseverance. And in our text today, in our journey through this uh, remarkable life of Abraham, we come to a place where Abraham's faith was tested severely by God's silence. I mean, he'd waited a long time, long time for a promise, the promised child he was going to have to be fulfilled. And frankly, Abraham didn't pass all these tests with flying colors. We've already, have you seen how human this guy is? As you read, don't you love that? You know, the Bible always paints things as they are. And human nature is what it is. But Abraham needed some uh, counsel here. And the goal of our series is to kind of help us to strengthen our own faith by studying Abraham's, well, his successes when he had them, but also learning from his failures. And this morning, we're going to go to Genesis 16. And you will witness Abraham and Sarah's response, number one, to a very prolonged frustration. That's point number one, a very prolonged frustration. Verse one. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. Now, we've already tracked with this narrative. I mean, every couple who's ever experienced infertility can sympathize with them. They had no children. I read of two businesswomen who were having lunch together and kind of getting acquainted. And they were talking in the conversation, turned to family. And the first woman said, you know, I raised four boys before I came back to work. And the other woman said, well, that, that's a nice family. She said, I wish I had four children. And the other lady said, well, I'm sorry, don't you have any children? She said, oh, yes, I've got eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some of you can relate to that, maybe. I'm not sure. But while it might have been possible for him to have too many, the Bible says children are a blessing. Sarah and Abraham were disappointed that they didn't have any. And what made it particularly frustrating was that God had promised them that this offspring that they would have would multiply and bless the earth. There'd be multiple generations to come. Ten years before this, Abraham had packed up his family and left his home because he believed in God's promise. He was 75 years old, and Sarah was 65, and he believed that God was going to perform a miracle. Seven years went by, still no child. And just about that time that Abraham and Sarah were giving up hope, 
God reappeared to him and he took Abraham out onto a hillside by night and showed him to all the stars in the sky. And he said, Abraham, look up at all those stars. And he said, that's how many descendants you will have. And Genesis 15, 6 tells us this. Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord credited that faith to him as righteousness. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Abraham was not considered righteous because of his deeds. This guy had a lot of problems. He never got it. And isn't it refreshing to know he didn't have it all together either? No. Abraham was considered faithful or considered righteous because of his faith in God's promise. But now three more years had gone by and no children. Abraham's 85, Sarah's 75. God is still silent. Did you know that you have to wait sometimes? Have you experienced that? Maybe this morning you're going through that sense of hesitation and, and, and doubt. Sometimes we wonder about God's promise. All things work together for those who love him. I mean, where is God's promise that when you cast all your cares upon him, he will care for you? The Bible says we reap what we sow, but sometimes there's a long time between the sowing and the reaping. And God promises parents, if you train up your child in the way they should go, when they're old, they'll be faithful. But you're beginning to wonder <laughs> you know, uh, if you ever live to see the day. Hebrews 11.13 says, All these people were still living by faith when they died, and they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Their faith enabled them to do that. And in order for us to be patient, it's imperative that we understand the nature of God. What uh, the Bible calls is forbearance. Listen to this verse, 2 Peter 3, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Did you know that little children have a different concepts of time than parents do? If you've ever worked in the nursery at our church, which you should, by the way, it's a great place to work, but you understand that. They don't have any concept of, of time. They don't think about it. Parents says, well, you've got to wait till supper. And it may be, those 30 minutes seem like eternity to a little kid. Or you tell a child they have to wait till Christmas for something. I mean, that's forever, you know. One father was taking his four-year-old on a fishing trip, and they were going to travel 250 miles away from home. After about 50 miles, the little boy said, Daddy, are we there yet? Are we getting close? Are we almost there? And the father said, Oh, no, son, we've got a long way to go. After 100 miles, the little boy asked, Daddy, uh, are, are we almost there? And the father said, No, son, we, we, we're not even halfway yet. After 150 miles, the boy was quiet for a while, and then finally said, Daddy, will I still be four when we get there? <laughs> you know, Oh, it's hard. It is so hard. Time goes by so much more swiftly when we're older. A four-hour trip doesn't seem like much when you're 40, but it seems like an eternity when you're four. But God is eternal. God is timeless. He's been here forever. A thousand years are like a day. And, and when we pray, God, I can't go through this another year. I, I can't bear this another moment. And, the, and that really... Maybe I think that seems immature of us to God. 
which is why 2 Corinthians 4.17 reminds us, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Noah waited 120 years before the promised rain. Moses waited 40 years until he reached the promised land. Joseph spent two years in an Egyptian jail for something he didn't even do. Jonah cried out to God to save him, but he had to wait three crazy, uncertain days in the belly of a great fish. Paul waited a decade before it was time for him to be a leader. The prophet Habakkuk sums up the emotions of all who cry out when he says, How long, O Lord, must I call for your help? But you do not listen. So, so here's our reality. There are many times, there are going to be many times in life when our faith requires that we sit back, we step back and wait. Not knowing what's going to happen. Not understanding everything, but believing that God's promises will be fulfilled in His time. This whole series is about faith and how our faith needs to be from time to time reminded of the things that we've shared in Abraham's life, but also things we're going to continue to share for another few weeks. We want to be prepared to understand what it means to be patient. And, and I know, how many of you are really patient people? You know, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, how many of you wish you were more patient? How many of your spouses wish that you, you, you were more, more patient? I mean, patience is not this high thing. We just, well, I wish I had more patience. You know? No, we want to get her done. You know, we want to move on with this thing called life. But our reality is that that is not going to be the case. And we see an example of this. Frustrated with God's silence, Sarah proposed and Abraham cooperated with, number two here on your outline, is an impulsive solution. An impulsive solution. Look back at the second part of verse 1. Now Sarah had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children, so you go and sleep with my maidservant, because perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, this was certainly not God's will. But Sarah was desperate. She knew the clock was ticking, literally, in many ways. And the promised miracle had just not materialized. And so what did she do out of frustration? I know none of you women have ever, ever gotten frustrated. I know that doesn't happen. But in Sarah's case, she just said, i got to fix this. I'm going to fix this. i, I got a solution to it, you know. You know. You know that famous Bible verse, the one that says, God helps those who help themselves? Have you read that verse? Yeah. You can't find that verse. It's because it's not there. But we think that we can't. So Sarah says, Abraham, we've got to be realistic. The only way we're going to have a child is through somebody else. And after all, the law does say that any child born to a servant belongs to the, to the master, the owner. So the Bible tells us, after much prayer and much thought and days and days and days of considering what he should do, Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. Actually, it doesn't say that. It just says, he said, okay. <laughs> and he slept with Hagar and she conceived. Now, polygamy was a common practice in the ancients of days, but it was not the will of God. And both Abraham and Sarah's faith 
had become impatient. And they concluded God was not going to do what he said he was going to do. When life isn't working out the way we plan, it's our nature to do something, isn't it? Even if it's wrong. And you know what? We can sometimes get by with it when we're waiting on human beings to do what we want. But when we refuse to wait on God, when we disobey Him, when we go against God's timing, the result is always disaster. There are young people who cannot wait for marriage to be intimate, and the result is not only guilt, but sometimes it means missing out on things God has planned. Some people can't wait to have money the old-fashioned way. You earn it. And so they get into gambling or stealing. Some young, young couples can't wait for a dream home, and so they go into debt and overextend themselves, and they find out that, you know, they've cut back on important things. We're, we're in a hurry. We're all in a hurry. But Proverbs 14.29 says this, It is a patient man who has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. And so the self-driven solution of Abraham and Sarah eventually brought about number three, an incredible complication. Incredible complication. Beginning with verse 4, when uh, Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Can you imagine her mocking Sarah, you know? And so now we see arrogance in the house and animosity. She's flaunting this pregnancy. Verse 5 says, <laughs> then Sarah said to Abraham, well, you are responsible for the wrong that I'm suffering. Can you see that? Can you, can you hear her? All you guys are saying, no, no, I'm not going to say a word right here, not going to comment. But you know what he was thinking? He said, good night, woman, I just did what you told me to do. And Sarah responded, I put my servant in your arms, and now she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. How many of you men can understand why Sarah was upset? How many of you women can understand why? The preacher's wife, she's raising her hand real fast. <laughs> you see, you think Abraham should have said, the women would say that he should have said, no, honey, no, I can never do this. I love you so much. I don't want to be with anybody else. That's how we talk in Kentucky. But no, you know, he didn't respond that way. Now he's caught in the middle, and he's miserable, and she's miserable, and the whole family's miserable. And somebody hung up a sign near their tent that said, If Mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. That's in Hebrew, of course. Verse 6. He says, your servant is in your hands, said Abraham. Do with her whatever you think best. This is the passive male in all his glory. You know? Well, you fix it. You start it, you fix it. You know? Oh, don't you love it? The Bible is so real and true. And we humans have, haven't changed all these centuries. So then Sarah mistreated Hagar, and so she fled from her. And while I'm sure that Sarah was relieved, God was not pleased. Verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. And verse 9 says, Then the angel of the Lord told her, You go back to your mistress and you submit to her. And the angel added, 
I will so increase your descendants that they will also be too numerous to count. And so she returned to the household, or the tent, I should say, and there was a temporary truce. But when the child, Ishmael, was born, Sarah resented the boy, and later when Abraham and Sarah had a child of their own named Isaac, this blended family didn't blend. And Ishmael picked on the younger boy to the point that Abraham had to kick Hagar and Ishmael out for good. And the sons of Ishmael and Isaac, the Arabs and Israelis of our modern time, are still not friendly neighbors. Even though they still live in the same area, all this took place in all these years ago. All because Abraham and Sarah were impatient. A.W. Tozier was a crusty old preacher in Chicago, and uh, he, he really had a reputation for it. He laid on you, you know. But he made a comment one time, if the Lord is in it, it flows. But if you've got to force it, it's always going to be through your flesh. It's got to go through the flesh. You're not doing the spirit. You're forcing it in the human flesh. And when you and I run ahead of God and we disobey, you know, well, there are things that have unbelievable difficulties. Moses became impatient at the oppression of the Israelite slaves and he killed an Egyptian and then he had to run and hide for the next 40 years. King Saul was impatient. Couldn't wait for the prophet Samuel to arrive and offer a sacrifice that was an appropriate sacrifice. And then King Saul offered the improper one and it cost him a throne. Martha became impatient with her sister Mary for not helping with the chores, and Martha missed out on a chance to sit at the feet of Jesus. And Peter got so angry and impulsive, he cut off the ear of a Roman soldier in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was rebuked by Jesus, though the Roman soldier only heard half of the conversation. I'm sorry, but that's not in the Bible. But can't you imagine that? He's he go, huh? Huh? Yeah. He's trying. I'm sorry. I, these serious sermons, I can only take so much of. But here's the principle we all need to remember. We all need to understand it. Spiritual, hear me now, spiritual goals or spiritual ends are never achieved by carnal means. If you're doing it and you want to do it in the spirit, you can't use human ideologies and methods. If you can't do it God's way, then wait and look for another alternative because it isn't God's time. As the old song goes, in His time. In His time. God makes all things beautiful in His time. Lord, please show me every day as you're teaching me your way that you do just what you say in your time. And as we close this message, I feel compelled to remind us that what is true individually and as of a church, it's true as well. But it's also true as a nation. When we see the turmoil and upheaval, the mess of our own nation and our moral values plummeting everywhere and the whole world seems slipping into chaos, the church must not just sit back and observe and, and just lament like the rest of the world. Don't become impatient. Proverbs 14.34 declares, Righteousness exalts a nation. 
That's what lifts up a nation, righteousness. But sin is a disgrace to any people. And when you and I are impatient and respond to world events with carnal attitudes, it's always contrary to what God says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and hear this, and I will heal their land. I will heal their land. Don't you know we need healing today? No matter what's going on around us, we need to strive to live rightly, correctly. We continue to pray fervently. Why? Because the effectual, fervent prayer of righteous people accomplishes much, the Bible says. And the Bible says that when the righteous thrive, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, everybody groans. Everybody moans. Everybody just is so fussy. And they all tell everybody about it on Facebook. And everybody depressed. You know why sometimes we preachers put humor into the sermon? Because that breaks the depression, the discouragement. It takes our mind off of the stuff that's happening in our lives, in our families, heartbreaks, unexpected losses, the, all these things. We get so, Satan loves to whisper in your ear that that should be all you think about and all that you focus about. But that's not what Scripture says. We need to faithfully wait patiently, put our trust in God, believing that His will, His perfect will in the long run will prevail. And in doing so, we will continue to believe in the sun when it does not shine. We continue to believe even love when it's not shown. And we faithfully believe in God even when He is silent. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the time here this morning that we've been able to spend talking about faith, but also, Father, the ways in which you've been speaking to our hearts about the burdens that we carried in here today. And we know, Lord, that that is the case because none of us escape heartache and, and, and suffering and, and, and remorse and sadness. In this world, the Bible says you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. Because of you, we overcome the world. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. And Lord, help us remember that. Whether we're here at the church, we're people of, of kindred spirit and faith and knowledge, where we, whether we're in good company here, and whether we go out into the marketplace or out into the world, go to the college, go to the university, go to the places in this community, and listen to all of the stuff and all the discouragement. Wherever we are, in either setting, we put our trust in you because by faith we believe that ultimately it will be proven you do all things well. All things work together to them who love God and are called according to his purposes. Doesn't say everything is perfect. Not all things will work every single time, but all things will work too good. And that's what we, we ask for. That's what we pray for today, Father, because we need that encouragement. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will just just fill us with that today as we leave. So we'll go back out into this crazy world and represent you well. That's our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen.